and it's called Overcoming Misconceptions About the Home. So there's going to be today and next week, which is Mother's Day, and by the way, we're having a uh, child dedication, so if you have a child that you would like to dedicate, that'll be next Sunday, please let me know about it. But Overcoming Misconceptions About the Home. Now, as you look at this picture, uh, you see the building, it looks like it got melted by a candle or something, like, it's like a picture that got melted by a candle or something. But this is a real building in Poland, and it was constructed to look like this. So you can look it up online, but I picked this picture for our message today because sometimes we feel like our houses are like that. They just don't look right. They're just not right. Something's just not going on in the right way. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to start with Joshua. There is a there is a verse in the book of Joshua that is really popular, and many people have a little uh, plaque or a sign or, some, or a picture or something, and it expresses what Joshua expresses at the end of the book of Joshua. So this is Joshua chapter 24, verse 15, and it says this, If it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in in whose land you dwell. Now, here's the statement. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. How many of you have heard that before? Yes. How many of you have some kind of plaque or picture or verse in your house that says that? All right, a number of you, and we do too. But that is his famous statement. But as for me and my house... We will serve the Lord. And that is an important expression of his conviction and determination to serve the Lord and that his service would include or incorporate his family and the members of the family and his household. Now, what's interesting, uh, we've been talking about this for so many weeks already, and we've been talking about the different relationships that we have and the different uh, uh, aspects of what it means to be a Christian a uh, person and a Christian family and a Christian home and all of those kinds of things. But for Joshua, it kind of all comes together because Joshua is living under the Mosaic law, which has just been given to Moses, and it would have included not only his, the members of his family doing right, but in, in an effort to encourage him and his family to do right, the law told the people of Israel to do certain things that included or or affected the actual place where they lived. So, for example, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6, it says, These words which I command you today shall be in your heart. And then verse 9 says, You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And then dropping down to Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 18 says, Therefore you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart, And, verse 20, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So you have this internal taking of the word of God that was supposed to be done. And the word of God was to be expressed on the outward things, on their doorposts and on their gates. Now, why was that? So when they were coming into the house and going out of the house, they would see on their doorposts and they would see on their gates the words of the Lord to remind them and to encourage them to keep these things close to heart. 
Now, I don't know how many of you have Bible verses throughout your house. Anybody like kind of write Bible verses out and put them out? All right, we got several of you. I know in our house, you'll find Bible verses all over the place. I take Bible verses and I print them out and I have a stack of Bible verses that are currently on my heart. And when I pray, I will go verse by verse and I'll just kind of pray each of these important verses that the Lord has laid on my heart. I print them out and I have them in a visible form right in front of me so that I could pray them. I uh, used to carry a cross around and I still have the cross. It's at home and on the cross I would do the same thing. Important verses that the Lord was using to speak and to minister to my heart. I wrote them on the cross and I would carry my cross when I prayed. And uh, I would pray the verses that were uh, that were written on there. So these are visible things that we do in our lives to put before us the Word of God, those important verses that are ministering to us to remind us to keep seeking Him. And so I encourage each of you to do that. And, and of course, it's, it's good to highlight the verses that are important in the Bible, but sometimes finding those is a, a little challenging and, um, but I would encourage you to do that. I would encourage you to write in your Bibles. It's okay to write in your Bibles. My Bible always has a pencil right inside of it so I can circle and write and underline and make a note and all those kinds of things. I would encourage you to do the same thing. Because you come back to your notes later and uh, you are reminded about a sermon that somebody preached and, or something that somebody said. Now the downside to that is this is a pretty new Bible and so there are not many notes in here because my other Bible that I used, I just wore out, the pages were falling out. I would pick it up from one side and half of the Bible would just kind of fall out. And so, uh, you know, I had to get a new Bible and all my notes were in there, but that's okay. Our recording of the Word of God is an ongoing process, right? So we pick up where we left off and we keep going forward. The Lord continues to encourage us and to direct us in His Word and the truths of His Word, and we continue to make expressions of them in our lives. All right? So, it is very important to get the Word of God and to incorporate it into our lives and into our homes. Now, part of that is uh, making sure that what is in our homes, and I've already talked a little bit about this, is wholesome unto the Lord. That it's uh, important to, to keep that uh, the things that are good in our homes and get rid of the things that are not so good in our homes. I remember in uh, the, the, the church um, in Florida that I was a part of, uh, we were, I was in the young adult group, and so we went over to the pastor's house. We were invited to the pastor's house one evening, and uh, uh, I was, I'm always attracted to books, you know, so he had a bookshelf there in the room, and I was, a, and I was, uh, I, I was attracted to the bookshelf, and I gravitated over myself over to the books. And I'm, and I'm looking at the titles of the books, and I'm saying, well, that, I don't know what that is. That doesn't sound Christian. And I'm kind of like going, and sure enough, he comes over, and he distracts me, and he takes me away from his bookshelf. A little while later, later I couldn't help myself. I just went back to the bookshelf. I wanted to see what books were on the bookshelf. And, uh, and it was a little bit uh, surprising to me that... Uh, there were few Christian books on his bookshelf at home. Now, his office was different. He had a huge office, and the whole thing was lined with books, bookshelves and books, and they were all solid Christian books. Uh, I loved my pastor. I really respected him. But, uh, but when you come to the home, the, the character of the home should reflect your love for Christ. So if you come to my house and you look at my books, 
you'll find a shelf that talks about stocks and investing. You'll find a shelf that talks about health and diet. You'll find a couple of shelves with uh, albums of pictures. You'll find another shelf with music on it. You'll find a few shelves with games and puzzles on it. And then, by far, you'll find the Christian books. They are all there. So, I'm okay. I'm comfortable with my bookshelves. You can come over and you can look at my books and see what books I have on my shelf. I'm, I'm okay with that. However, if one of the Puritans or Reformers came over, they'd probably take issue with half of my books. But uh, anyway, that's, uh, I'm doing the best that I can. Now, why this is important goes to something that Jesus said in Luke chapter 18. So it says here in Luke chapter 18, he said to them, these are those who wanted to follow him, assuredly I say to you, there is no one who has left houses or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who shall not receive many times more in this present time and in the age to come eternal life. Now, what I want us to notice is where he says, who have left houses. And I think the first and foremost in our minds, our context in this day, in this culture, is that he is making a statement against materialism. You know, you put your houses aside. You know, don't be materialistic. However, if you look in the context of the passage, it is, this, is, this is the only one. Notice the context. It says, don't, who have left houses, parents, brothers, wife, children for the sake of the kingdom. He is talking about the home and the family of the home. And he is saying that if we are going to follow him, we have to put aside everything else that is important, including our homes, not from the material perspective, but the, the, place, you know, the place of security and instruction and all of those things that we've been talking about. We have to put those things aside. Even our parents, even our brothers, our wife, our children, and all of that, we put them aside for the kingdom of God. And so the kingdom of God becomes the first and the foremost priority of our lives. And everything that we do, our families and our homes and our work and all of that, points to the spiritual truths and realities that we will experience for all of eternity. And so that is to be the focus of our uh, minds and our hearts. And today what I want to do, we, we've already been talking about this, and like the picture represents, and like I said earlier, so we've received all this instruction, we've seen what the Word of God says, and we look at our house, and it just looks twisted like this in our eyes. And we feel like that because, well... We look at our failures, we look at how our home has fallen short, we look at our current struggles that we're going through and, and the, the, the current places where it's broken, and, and so we look at our home and it's twisted and melted and just strange like this, and we look at the ideal that God has put before us and there's just, it just doesn't seem right. And the temptation or the tendency is to be burdened by that or to feel guilty about it. And I want to address some misconceptions. So our first one is this. So overcoming the misconceptions about the home. And our first point is this. We are not the saviors of our children. Now, you might say, well, of course we're not the saviors of our children. The only savior, the only way to eternal life is through... Jesus. 
That is the only way to heaven. So, of course, we're not the savior of our children. However, this is kind of the problem that we run into. Now, over the years, I've read many books on uh, marriage. I've read many books on parenting. Uh, I've, I mean, just numerous books on the, on the topic. And so you read each, read each book, and they're great. Each book is great in its own way. But what each book does is they, they put out this principle. You know, well, you've got to do this to have a healthy marriage. And you've got to do this to be a good parent. And you've got to do this if you want your kids to turn out right. And, and so, you know, they, they just kind of lay out all of these really good things and important things that we have to do in order to fix our marriages or to make our marriages strong. They, do all, they tell us all of these things that we've got to do in order to have great kids that never disobey and never rebel and always do what's right. And what happens is we look at what the book says and then we look at our kids and it's like, oh no, I've done it all wrong. They're a mess and I'm a mess and I'm guilty and it's all my fault. And, and uh, we, we just kind of, what's implied to us is that they're, me- they're a mess because I messed up. And then there's guilt because of that. But we are not the saviors of our children. So if we take my wife and you look at her life, her parents and her home was not a strong evangelical Christian home like we would consider. And yet, here she is in church, and she's a strong Christian. Woo! And then you look at our family, me and Christina, we did it all right. We were in church. I served in church. We, we had church at home. We had devotions. We sang the Lord, you know, of the Lord. We didn't have any television. And we, we, we did it all right and had serious rebellion in our home. And, and I think what happens is that we just have this mentality, if I do it right, it's going to be all right, and if I do it wrong, it's all going to get messed up. But we are not the saviors of our children. Jesus is still the Savior. And what we, and what we have to do is remember that we are serving Him for His glory and for the benefit of those that are around us, But it is only by His grace and His work that we are going to see any fruit come to to fruition in the lives of our family. Now, uh, now let me give you... Now, I I don't want to diminish. It is important for us to do the best that we can and to do it right and to do the things that the Bible tells us to do. I am not saying just, well, you know, it doesn't matter because, you know, they're going to turn out however they're going to turn out anyways. It does matter. And now there are some important verses. Here's one that we often turn to. Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. That is a very important principle. Okay, so, you know, there are many things that are important in Scripture that we need to practice, and we need to practice diligently. Now, let me give you an example, okay? Are you guys ready for this? Are you ready? Is everybody ready? All right, first, this is only for the women. Guys, keep your mouth shut. Now, I know that's not going to be too hard for you. This is for the women. Now, what I want you to do, ladies, I want you to express how true this is 
in your heart and in your life. You ready? Ladies? This is participation point in our sermon, all right? I am actually calling for participation. Ladies, here we go. Ready? I want you to say a hearty, I want you to say amen, and let the volume reflect how true this is in your heart. All right? Ephesians 5.22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. (laughs) There are a few over here. Guys, this is for you. Wives, women, be quiet. This is going to be harder for you than it was for the guys. But this is for the guys. You probably know it's coming. Here it is, guys. Let your amen reflect how this is true in your heart. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Amen. All right, guys, I'm impressed. Now, I, I could write a book, and it would be on marriage, and I would have two principles, one for the wife, one for the husband. It would say, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. So there it is, two principles, pretty simple. But now comes, now, now comes the, the proof of the pudding here. So... Now, here's the question, guys. You, love, you begin to love your wife like Christ loved the church. You do it. You are faithful to it. Every single day, you are loving her like Christ loved the church. Chances are, at the end of a year or two or five, she will still be a sinner. What do you think? You love her like Christ loved the church? Will she cease to be a sinner after five years? (laughs) Sorry, Kimberly. You know, Anthony's just kind (laughs) of... He's got his eyes wide open there, and he's... uh... Look, I can love my wife the entire time that I am married, and she will still be a sinner. She can submit to me the entirety of our married lives and I will still be a sinner because Jesus is the only Savior. Now, does that mean that I should stop loving my wife like Christ loved the church? Of course not. Does it mean that she should stop submitting to me as to the Lord? Of course not. Those are two important exhortations to come to us. But we do them not simply for the results we will get. I am going to love my wife like Christ loved the church so she would finally change and come to her senses. That's how we act in principle or think that if I do this, she will finally come around. And that is not why we do it. We do it because God told us to do it. We do it out of obedience to the Lord, and we do it as a testimony of our faith. I believe in Jesus. He told me to love her. I will love her. Praise be to God. Jesus is the only Savior. Now, here's a verse. We're all uh, familiar with it. 
Um, let me just read it to you. Oh, here it is. John chapter 14, verse 6. We're familiar with this. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so we have to, to remember that it is because of Jesus. So, you know, you do the best that you can in your family, and your kids turn out rotten. They're monsters from the beginning. They're monsters in the middle. They're monsters all the way to the end. They're still monsters today, and they're over 50 years old. And, uh, you know, you don't know what the problem is. Well, you know, they're people, and they have to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Now, how you give testimony to that, what we do does matter. We do it for a blessing to others. If you are following the Lord, your children are going to be blessed, whether they believe or follow or whatever. Uh, They're going to be blessed because you are creating a solid, secure, godly home. They will be blessed by living in that, as opposed to a home where there is alcoholism and substance abuse, and there there's going to be trouble. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to come out bad. It just means they are not going to experience the possible blessings of life, and you aren't, and your, uh, you know, your whole family is not going to experience the blessings that God intended for you to have or that you could have possibly had. Uh, but that's, that's just the issue. It's important. But Jesus is the Savior of our children, and we have to pray for them and take them before Him every day, lifting them up to Him. And that brings us to our second point here, that we should not stop living for Jesus. We should not stop living for Jesus. So we might start thinking, we look at our home, it's all twisted, we're a mess, we're guilt, we're we're just riddled with guilt, it just weighs heavy on our heart, We, we messed up and And we start to think things like, well, I can't change anyone anyway, so why should I bother, right? Um, I messed up, I just have tons of guilt, I I just can't do it. Or, it's too late for me, I wish I knew these things when I was younger. Or, my family is a mess because of my choices, I know it, it's my fault. And, uh, you know, how that impacted them, you know, that's only God can say. But, uh, you know, it's, that's just how it is. I messed up. Or we can say, well, I tried to do it right, and it just didn't, it didn't work. I didn't have any uh, success. So what should our response be? Now, our point is this. We should not stop living for Jesus. No matter what, we should not stop living for Jesus. He is our Lord, our Savior. We follow Him. So our first response in all of this is to repent and to ask for forgiveness. Hey, they're not perfect, I'm not perfect. I keep calling them monsters, but probably I'm the the big monster of the house, right? And so we have to realize that I am a sinner and I need forgiveness constantly. And so we go, we repent, we ask for forgiveness. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 9 and 10 says, Now I rejoice. Not that you were made sorry, Paul is talking to the Corinthian church, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Now, now here is a key difference. You might be sorry for what you have done, like in the world, and it would lead to your death, your your, uh, salvation death on on the one part, but 
that comes from a physical death as well. So Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. After he betrayed Jesus, the guilt just came crashing down on him. And he did not respond in a godly, sorrowful kind of way. And he went and he took the 30 pieces of silver and he tried to give it back and they wouldn't. And so he threw them in there. And then he went and he hanged himself. That is the sorrow of the world. But the godly sorrow is this. You feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit for the mistakes that you have done and you fall on your knees and you cry out, Oh Lord, forgive me by the blood that was shed for me. Godly sorrow leads to repentance. And so are you sorry for the bad choices that you have made? That is good. Let it cause you to fall and repent and receive the gracious forgiveness of the Lord. The second thing, first, repent and ask for forgiveness. Second, keep going forward. Philippians chapter 3 Verses 13 and 14. I've been listening to a Toby Mac song, and it's a move. Keep going. I don't usually listen to Toby Mac, but this song uh, uh, I've been listening to. It's to keep moving, keep going forward. Philippians 3, 13 and 14 says, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. So, this is the Apostle Paul, and he says, I have not yet arrived. I'm not perfect. I I haven't achieved what I need to achieve yet. But what do I do? I forget what has gone in the past, and I keep going forward. And that is the encouragement to us. Whatever brokenness and messes are behind you in your life, You are here right now today and the encouragement of Christ is to keep going forward in the right direction. So repent and keep going forward. Serve Him with all of your life. Do what He wants you to do to the best of your ability by yielding to the Spirit as best that you can and keep going forward in the right direction. So when we do the right things, it's not about getting what we want. We do the right things because He is our Lord and He has laid it before us. We are His servants. We love Him and we want to do what He has commanded us to do. We serve serve Him because He said to. He is our King, our Lord, and we do. And this becomes an important... um, This becomes important. Now, now let me give you an example. So, you're out there in the world and you you went to one particular church. Of course, it wasn't our church, but uh, you went to this particular church... And uh, you got in there, and they were all gossiping and, and uh, just being really judgmental and critical. And you kind of look back at the church and say, they're all, they're all full of hypocrites. I'm not going back there again. Remember, that's not our church. That's, you know, the other church. Over there, maybe over there, I don't know. It's that other church, right? It's just full of those kinds of people, hypocrites. I'm not going back to church. But you see, that is the wrong response. I mean, where are you going to go? Where are you going to find perfect people? And there's a verse in Romans uh, chapter 3, verse 4, which says, Let God be true, and every man a liar. And, And the point is this, is that 
my failure or the failures of the people around you or the failures of the church that you go to be a part of, the failures of the people do not change who God is. And they do not change the truth that He has laid out for us to follow. He is true, even if everyone else is a liar. And so we keep on following God regardless. You know, we have the luxury in our day to choose. Well, I don't like that church, so I'm going to go over there to that church. But you know, in any other age, you lived in a certain community and there was only one church, and that was the church you had to go to. Even if uh, the pastor was uh, not doing so good, you still had to go there. And you learned how to pray for him and to wrestle with the irritating people in the congregation. Now, Micah, this is not the time for that. So come and sit down. You can do that later, okay? So anyway, let God be true but every man a liar. Here's another example for us to follow concerning government officials, all right? Uh, Yeah, this is going to really rile all of us up. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority from God except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. Now, it doesn't say to submit only to the ones that we like or only to the good ones. And if they're not good or if we don't like them or if we voted for somebody else, we're not going to submit ourselves to them. It does not say that. It says to submit to those who have been put in authority by God. Submit to the authorities, whether we like them or not. Now, thankfully in this country, we have a, um, we have a process in which we can you know, vote someone in or out and uh, we can change, and things can change, and we can just wait four years or eight years or whatever. That's not very long, right? Until, and hope that uh, the next person is going to be better. But it doesn't matter. Whoever is in there, we must submit. That is our godly duty. We have to show ourselves different from the rest of the world. And if you consider people in the Old, in the Old Testament and what they had to deal with, I mean, we're talking about Joseph, for example, right? He, he lived in this you know, with the ungodly Pharaoh, and they worshiped all kinds of gods. There was Daniel, who was taken captive by the Babylonian king, and uh, he had to deal with that ungodly person. There was Paul, who lived in the Roman Empire, and there were periods of, of persecution. And so we, you know, they had it much worse than we have it today. Another example, uh, teenagers, this is for you. The Bible says, obey your parents. I hear the crickets now. (laughs) Obey your parents. It doesn't say obey them if they are worthy of it. It doesn't say obey them if they are godly. It doesn't say obey them if it says obey them. So, we are to live for God regardless. If our husband or wife comes around, praise the Lord for that. And if they don't, we keep on going forward praying for them. If our children come around, whoo, wonderful. And if they don't, we keep on living before them the right way. We keep living for God because we love Him, because we serve Him, because He said to, He is our King and our Lord, and we have a testimony to the world by the way that we live our lives. We are responsible for being faithful. He is responsible for bringing the growth and the increase. And so we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7, it says that here, So then neither he who plants 
is anything, nor he who waters. Now Paul's talking about the one who preaches the word and the one who disciples the people. The one, neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. So we faithfully, faithfully plant, we faithfully water, and we have faith in God that he will bring the increase. It is on him. Another verse, Psalm 127.1, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. So we build the house and we watch, but we do it yielding it to the Lord and allow Him to bring the fruits in our lives. So don't give up. Don't give up. If your house is twisted or broken, don't give up. Keep going forward. There is forgiveness in Christ. There is blessing in Christ. And we read in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we don't lose heart. Thirdly, our, and this is going to be really quickly because we're out of time this morning, but this is, this is it. Colin, Colin, Colin actually said I could preach for three hours, so maybe, maybe we're not going to wrap it up. So thank you, Colin. What a good servant you are. Uh, we don't have to do it all at once. So, you know, we, get, we listen to these messages or we read that book and we get all motivated. And so we decide, all right, my family, we're going to memorize one book of the Bible per week. We're going to pray two hours every day together. We're going to listen to ten sermons and write, read five books every month. We're going to give all of our money to the poor. And we're going to do 20 good deeds per day. Well, you know... That, that just kind of can be overwhelming, and we might last for one day. We have a revolt the second day, and then we find ourselves all by ourselves, all alone the third day. Just, just do the little things that are in front of you. Just start one thing at a time. Um, don't overwhelm yourself. You seek the Lord, and just let Him point out the things that you should do. And, and sometimes cleaning out the house and being an example to the families, just, just as simple as canceling that subscription, that streaming subscription. It could be as simple as putting filters on your computers, modems, routers, and television. Put, put uh, filters on it, parental controls. Put those controls on there to, to uh, at least minimize some of the filth that's available. Rather than watching those things, start watching other things. And I have to take some time to talk about this. Actually, my pictures didn't come through, but uh, each, of us have, each of us in this church, you have, we have access to Faith Life TV. Now, Faith Life TV is, is a, um, it's part of our, our, what do you call it, Faith Life presentation that we do the proclaim here and we have our database and everything is kind of run through them. Anyways, if you go to Faith Life TV, it is a subscription that we have and it is full of Christian content. And it's not Faith Life that's producing it. It's like uh, David Platt or uh, what are some of the, John Piper or some of the other, who, who else? Is, you know, they're, they're all contributing their content and their sermons and uh, there's, there's TV shows and there's movies and, and it's all available on Faith Life TV. So if you have trouble accessing it, bombard e uh, Ben with emails until you get it working, but we all have access to it. So, you know, just 
could be just a little thing like making a switch from that to faith, from what you have to Faith Life TV. Start reading your Bibles, listen to sermons, read Christian books instead of other things, get involved in church acts of service. We do the Martinsburg Rescue Mission. We have a VBS coming up. We need five hosts for Zambia people. Anybody want to, anybody volunteering? Any hands yet? Not yet. All right. I'm still praying for you all. You're backslidden, but uh, you'll come around. No, I'm just kidding. That's a, that's a small act of service for one night. Get involved in these things. Um, get, your, get your family involved in doing them. And uh, little by little, make, make changes in your life. Start uh, being aware of the people around you. Uh, help a little here. Help a little there. Uh, encourage someone. Give them a hug. Uh, do whatever you have to, to do. I'm not telling you to preach to one another. I'm, we're talking about little changes in your life. So uh, be faithful what God has put into your care. Make these little changes and allow the Lord to work in a wonderful way in your life. Jesus is still our Savior. And let us give all things to Him.